James, come please. There's no one like you. There's nothing like you. You, Spirit of God, we belong to you. your presence. We love your presence. We worship you, Father. The weighty presence of your glory come increase, Lord. We want you, Father. We love you, Spirit of God. We worship There's no doubt that the Lord has brought us together for such a time as this. He's brought you here today. You, you didn't come just because someone invited you or there just happened to be, you know, these strange Americans that came in. But you are here because God brought you here today. He brought us here. He brought us, you and the, he brought you and I together. And um, it's really because of what he's wanting to do. We're not having to beg him into doing it. It's really just giving our hearts in, in alignment with what he's been really wanting to do all along. You see, it's really, I think we've just tapped into that moment. Like we said a while ago, that Kairos moment of the desire of his heart and the time is now. And you know, James, uh, the Lord knitted our hearts together 10 years ago. And I was telling my team last night when we were sometime on the way back last night I really believe that a, a lot of what is happening right now in the UK and in this nation is a lot of this that's happening James is yes it's a Kairos moment in the desire of God but also your obedience and prayer and your obedience and prayer storm your obedience in just seeking God in these weekly prayer meetings that you're doing these all night prayer meetings it has not gone unnoticed even when it was just you and Becky there even when it was you and Tim there, those things are breaking up the ground. It's like, I think Pastor Jacob said last night, an earthquake happens first with things under the ground that nobody's knowing about. And I believe people are experiencing a move of the wind of God in this nation and kind of going, whoa, what's happening? But I believe it's because there's been some people underground warring in the spirit. And James, God's going to reward you openly and mightily. Through, not only in your life and through Becky, but even in justice. There's, this is going to be passed generationally. There's great reward coming, not only for the desire of your heart, James, but the desire of his heart through you in generations to come, you know? And um, so I, I just feel like you've got a word from the Lord for us, and I want to hear what it is. Will you do that? Holy Ghost. How many of you want to hear something God has to say right now? I believe James has a word from the Lord for us, and I think we need to hear it. So tell us what it is. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I appreciate that. Well, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to be speaking this morning. 
Um, I got up this morning. I was I was having some prayer time, and uh, uh, I, I, you know I've been around the ramp for about ten years now. My first connection with the ramp was two thousand and seven. Prior to that, I was at a university around the corner from here, Salford University of Salford, and I connected with uh, the ramp online, watching some of their videos. That's like back in two thousand and four, two thousand and five. And uh, over the years, I kind of built some amazing relationships. And, you know, uh, some of the leaders of the ramp would always say, you know, just be prepared in every season because you never know, Miss Karen might just call you up to speak. So basically, I got a text this morning saying, I would love you to speak this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am. And uh, some of what I'm actually going to share is connected to that in some ways. Um, I was just having my prayer time and uh, Miss Karen uh, sent a text and and I was just stirred. I knew the Lord wanted to do something specific this morning. Even some of the songs we've been singing, I believe, are absolutely key. Before I go into what I feel the Lord stirred in my heart, just a bit of background, because I, I appreciate that some of you may not know me or understand what's going on here. And I think it's good we have prophetic perspective of what God's doing. Uh, my parents are missionaries, and we came over to the UK in 2001. Um, and a series of supernatural events, basically, I ended up at the ramp in 2007, summer ramp. I'd just finished university, and uh, I was, at, uh, actually, as I was about to finish university, I was watching a live stream, and um, we call her Miss Karen, but over here, that doesn't make sense in the UK, so people decided to call her Pastor Karen. But I actually think what's more appropriate is Apostle Karen Wheaton. <laughs> Because so, she is an apostle. Now, what, what happened was I was watching her on the platform just talk to people at the ramp about um, a gathering that was coming up. 7707 was the date, uh, 7th of July, 2007. And she, uh, she was just repeating or just calling people to this vision that Luingo, who leads the call, had been kind of mobilizing for across America. And it, it was calling for a 40-day fast. And uh, the 40-day fast was going to build up and end on the 7th of the 7th 07. So I heard Karen Wheaton, Pastor Karen, Apostle Karen talking about that. And I was stirred in my heart because I was just in the process of finishing my university uh, degree. And I was thinking, Lord, I don't know what to do next. I'm, I just need to spend some time seeking you. So I thought, you know what? I've never been on a 40-day fast before. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join in with this call to fast. I went on a Daniel fast. Uh, in that 40-day period. And I thought to myself, well, as well as going on that fast, I'm going to visit the ramp, the summer ramp conference, and I'm going to go to the call gathering. Well, I think the 40-day fast is a picture of 40 weeks of pregnancy. Because in those 40 days of fasting, everything I'm doing right now as a ministry was birth in those 40 days. I had no idea of the significance of the time I was about to enter into, but just my simple saying, yes, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join in with this fast. I'm going to seek your face. As I started to fast and pray, God started to stir things in my heart. I showed up at the ramp, didn't have much of an understanding of what happened uh, when uh, uh, Pastor Karen was here in Manchester and God stirred her heart in 2004. So she shared that story with the conference and invited uh, me and my friends who were visiting to come up on the platform. And as of that time, we'd not really met properly. But she said, oh, James, I just love you to greet people. You know, you come all the way from Manchester for this gathering. You know, so you gave me the microphone to just greet people. Now, you got to understand, because I'd been on a fast, I was already prepared for that moment. Because there are times God knows what he wants to do in your life five years from now to the hour, to the minute, to the second. 
He knows exactly where he wants you to be in that moment. And because he has foresight, he starts to prepare you for that moment. And he starts to nudge you to put things aside, to, to let go of some things, to begin to focus and pray in some ways. And if you're not obedient to his nudgings and his leadings now, when that hour comes and that moment comes, you miss the moment. Passes you by and goes to someone else. So I thank God for his grace that I was prepared for that moment. Because that moment, I believe, is why I can stand before you today. I, I share this story all the time and I'm amazed. In that moment, she said, James, would you greet people and say something? She gave me the microphone. Uh, uh, 1,100 kids there. So I start to speak what God was already stirring in my heart during the fast, and I was still on the fast, stirring my heart about Joel 2.28, which has become a key scripture for me. The Lord says, you'll pour out his spirit in our flesh. As I'm just releasing this word, God, you pour out your spirit in our flesh. You know, sons and daughters, as I'm speaking this word, it was like, I felt this spirit, like, from here, it just came. It was like a spirit of intercession, something I've never experienced before in that degree. Next thing I know, from speaking, I'm on my face. I'm weeping and crying out to God for revival in the UK. Well, you know what happened? It was like an explosion went off in the room, and everyone was just crying out to God, weeping, just groaning and crying out to God for a move of his spirit in the UK. That moment birthed something. That moment birthed something. Uh, because I came back to the UK, having been to the call 7707. I went with the guys from the ramp as well. And um, my life was radically changed. I mean, radically, radically changed. I, I, I mean, I've, I've been a person of prayer before I went to the ramp, but having, gone, having been to the ramp, been to the call, I came back with a whole new level of burning for God. I found myself praying and seeking God. And um, I remember uh, uh, saying this to the Lord. I just finished university, so I was thinking, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Now, I didn't say this to God out of laziness. I felt there was faith on it because actually what I said is what happened. I said, Lord... I am not going to apply for any jobs right now. My friends are applying for lots of jobs and, you know, figuring what they're going to do next. And at that time, I didn't really think I was going to be in ministry like I am right now. So I just thought, Lord, I don't feel like I'm, I'm not going to apply for any jobs. The right job you have for me is going to come to me. Now, I'm not asking you to say that. If there's no faith to say that and pray that. But that's what I had faith for. I don't know. I just had faith. First, sometimes faith is like a gift. God just puts in your heart and you just know it's going to happen. So I declared it and I knew it. And I just spent a lot of time just praying. Hours and hours. Waking up early in the morning. 5, 6, 4, 3 a.m. And praying till 11 p.m. at night. How many understand that that's not an easy thing to do if God is not releasing such a grace on you to push in for 15, 16, 17, sometimes 24 hours. Just pushing in an intercession. Now, I'm saying that now, and I'm even surprised because I know something went on in that time. I'm looking at myself saying, James, what's happened to you? You're, you're pushing in prayer for 16 hours, 24 hours, no sleep, just containing, praying in terms of crying to go for the nation. I'm not saying that to boast because I know God was birthing something in that season. Now, um, I, 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 I knew something was shifting over the city. And in those times of prayer, the Lord uh, just gave me a word of knowledge about someone in the city. I don't know who they were. But I felt it's a search for them online. A lady called Deborah Green sent her a video of me uh, and the guys of the ramp praying for Manchester. I sent it to her. She sent it to a guy called Andy Hawthorne. He played out a message prayer there. Message, message Trust is a ministry here in Manchester. And when he played that video in the meeting, the same thing that happened at the ramp happened in the meeting. People are just weeping, calling out to God. Someone in the meeting, however, knew me. I had not seen them for a long time. So they sent me a message saying, James, I just saw this video of you praying at some meeting in America. I think you should come around to the message and meet with Andy Hawthorne. 
They arranged a meeting with me and Andy Holton. I met Andy Holton. You know what he said to me? James, I'd love you to be a prayer coordinator. I got offered a job at the Messy Trust. <laughs> now, listen, I never planned to be in a prayer ministry. I never planned to lead a prayer ministry. In fact, it baffles me that I'm leading a prayer ministry because I never really enjoyed prayer. I grew up in a Christian family, and my mom would have us pray together one after the other. And I'm like, God, why do I have to do this? You know, I, I didn't really enjoy it. So if you're here and you're struggling, I can relate to that. And the fact that I am talking and, and not just talking about prayer, living a prayer life and leading a prayer ministry if I can do it, you can do it, because this is a miracle, trust me. Now, I, I, uh, Andy Hawthorne offered me a job with the Message Trust. So for the next seven years, I was, my job was to mobilize prayer for a mission organization, uh, which is based here in Manchester and now spreading across the world. And then out of my time mobilizing prayer in the ministry, I started to get in touch with, uh, connect with a lot of prayer meetings around the city. And what struck me was a lot of the prayer meetings I was going to had mostly women. No men and no young people. So I'm going to this prayer meeting and what's going on? Where are all the teenagers? Where are the teenage intercessors? So I'm feeling really stirred in my heart, thinking, God, something is to shift. Because I believe, Joel 2.28, you pour your spirit in all flesh. Sons and daughters, the young people are a key part of that. And if they're a key part of that, they need to start inside now. Not wait till then. They need to start now. So where are those teenage prayer warriors? Where are those young adults who are going to fast and pray? I'm looking for that. Because I wasn't saying that. I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to start something. So I started to mobilize young people around to gather together to pray. And eventually that's what turned into what I do right now as a full-time ministry prayer storm. And I look back and I'm just incredibly grateful to God, but also just amazed at what God has done. And um, uh, I, I know God is up to something in the United Kingdom because he's stirring people to pray. And the fact that you are here is not an accident. Uh, the word you're about to hear, I believe, is going to challenge you, is going to stir you, is going to convict you, is going to push you to realize the significance of this ministry of prayer and intercession and your role in it. Because many times you can, you can come to a gathering like this and look at the people on the platform and almost place a demand on them to bring a word or to release a prophetic word or to release a prayer. But you don't realize heaven is placing a demand on you to manifest the kingdom around you. So you've come to place a demand on the whole, I want to hear a word from God, give me a prophetic word. And God's like, I'm also placing a demand on you to manifest what has already been invested in you, around you, everywhere you go. So we've got to realize our spiritual responsibility. And um, I am just amazed and thankful to God for what he's doing in the UK. It's like we are, uh, things, are, things are increasing in momentum in the spirit realm. And uh, we need to understand that uh, these are very significant times that we're living in. Um, I want to actually uh, start by um, um, uh, giving you an understanding of um, the spirit realm and why I think this is a necessary foundation for us to be able to push in prayer and understand the role of prayer in spiritual awakening and revivals and even in our lives. Um, you know, as I said to you earlier on, I, I never really enjoyed prayer that much. Um, and, uh, however, I can say this, I don't know if my mom is here. My mom is a woman of prayer. So many times as a young person, I'll go into a room to, to see her, uh, to ask her for something. And she's on her knees praying. Now there's something about seeing someone do something, you know, you're supposed to be doing, you're not doing that convicts you about doing it. <laughs> Even though I don't know much about prayer, the fact that I'm seeing my mom on her knees pray somehow brings conviction to me that I should be doing that. 
So I want to say to parents in here, don't underestimate your actions. Don't underestimate the way you live your life in front of your kids. Okay? So you got to be the prayer warrior in the house. Okay? You can't allow your kids to be more familiar with your preaching voice than your prayer voice. You can't afford your kids to be more familiar with you in the pulpit. You're jumping up and down praising God out here, but you don't do that at home. What's the point putting on a display out here that's not reality at home? Okay, so I'm after the real deal. I'm the real deal. I want the real deal. And we need to break off all this stuff that's just the facade of, you know, we just want to look good in front of people, but we don't look good before God when no one is looking. God is calling us to something deep. So my mom became almost like God initiating, stirring my heart into this ministry of prayer intercession. Now, I started to get hungry for God. That became my foundation, hungry for God. I didn't start to pray because I heard a sermon about prayer. I didn't start to pray because someone said, you have to pray, you're a Christian, that's the way you have to do it, you have to pray. So I didn't pray out of obligation. I prayed out of desperation because I realized I could not, and I still realize I cannot exist. I cannot function as a Christian without ongoing communication with God. Now we say it all the time. Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship. That's right. Yes, we all know that. It's a cliche thing. We all say it's true to many degrees. In fact, we're praying about religion today, but the reality is many of us in the church are not really in relationship. We're more stuck in religious routines, not relationship. Religious routines. We know how long the service is going to be, you know, five, you know, so many songs and the preach is going to be this long. And then we're looking at our time ready to go home. And, uh, and uh, we come to church. We say all these words like, Lord, I'm hungry for you. I want more of you. And then we get home and we don't even talk to him. So actually, we're speaking all these words in this setting. But the words are just lip service because it's not become lifestyle. And I found myself saying to God, Lord, I don't want to just say to you, I'm hungry for you. I want my life to say it. Words are cheap. It's easy to say many, you can say, God, I'm hungry for you. God, I want, you know, in fact, you're saying, God, I want more of you. And God is saying back to you, I want more of you. You can't have more of him if all your life is preoccupied with YouTube, Facebook, movies, friends, and lots of stuff. And you just have two minutes, five minutes every now and then. And just say, God, I need you. Help me pass my exams. Bless my parents. Oh, I need you to heal my friend of cancer. And then you just come to church. How do you expect to go deep in God with just five minutes of communication with him every so often? You're not going to go deep. It doesn't happen that way. Real relationships that carry value have depth to them. And for them to have depth, time has to be invested in them, right? So you can't have relationship outside of the context of communication. So most of us are in these routines, but we're not actually stepped into relationship. And relationship means when he speaks, I know his voice. If you're in a relationship with me and we know each other, when I call you on the phone, I don't have to tell you who's calling. You know it's me calling because you recognize my voice. So my question to you is, are you in a degree of relationship to the point where you recognize when he's talking? Drop everything and do what he says? Or are you just so filled up with so many voices of the world that you can't even discern when he's speaking? Because you're stuck in all these activities, but you have no reality of communication and depth of relationship. So my journey started with just hunger for God. God, I want more of you. And I want to draw you into that reality today as I talk about some concepts of prayer. Now, 
apart from understanding that I need more of God and going after him and, and spending more time in prayer, it was like my, the outworking of my hunger was, the fact, was my prayer life. It's impossible to tell me that you are hungry for God and have a non-existent prayer life. You can't be hungry for God and not pray. You know, in the natural, when you lose your appetite, it's a sign that something is wrong. In the natural way, you don't want to eat. And all of a sudden, you just, you just lose your appetite. Something is wrong. You go to the doctors, you go to the GP, and they check you tell you what's wrong. Now, the point is, in the spirit, do you realize it's the same? If you lose your spiritual appetite, something is wrong. Because when you lose your spiritual appetite, you don't want to pray. When you lose your spirit, you don't want to read the word. You don't want to spend time with God. It tells me something is wrong. You've probably been engaging and fellowshipping with something that's now contaminated your desires. So you do desire God, but he's, he's just there. He's not first place. He's just somewhere there. So when all those, other, all those other temptations and things that may not even be sin start to pull out your flesh, you're more likely to give in to that than you are to give in to spiritual things. Are you with me today? Are you hearing me today? So God is calling you to be investing yourself in spiritual things, feeding on spiritual things. So I start to find that my hunger led to prayer. My hunger led to time in the Word. Even while I was at university, I was making hours to pray, to fast, to say, God, I wasn't fasting and praying for a ministry. I wasn't fasting and praying for God to do something amazing in my life so that I could be the man of power for the hour who has a huge ministry traveling the world. I wasn't fasting and praying for any of that stuff. I was just fasting and praying because I want to know God. Period. How about we just want to know God? Because the people who know their God will be strong and do exploits exploits but the exploits are connected to the depth of the relationship how deep is your relationship with God or are you in a shallow place today which is where most of the church is we are in a shallow place and many times I have to admit my I have to admit to the Lord I feel shallow I am not I am not where I need to be in the depth of encounter and relationship I'm supposed to be with you so I started to spend time seeking God now one of the concepts that became very important for me and this one where I want to kind of start so that was an introduction <laughs> is the reality of the spirit realm everyone say the reality of the spirit realm okay now you need to understand you are not a body Adam and Eve were created in the garden and the bible said that they walked with God in the cool of the day now they saw God and they talked to God okay the, the reality that Adam and Eve were created in is far from the reality we are living now in. They saw God. They were flesh and blood, okay? They saw God, spoke to God. It was natural for them to engage God. But then John tells us that God is spirit. So Adam and Eve were physical body, and God is spirit, and they could engage with God, and it wasn't weird for them. That tells me they were very aware of the spirit world, and it was not an unnatural thing for them to engage with spiritual things. It says God formed Adam from the dust of the earth, okay? So God formed Adam's shell, Adam's body from the dust of the earth. Adam was not in that shell. Until God released the breath of life into that shell. 
When God breathed into the shell, he became a living being. Only then was Adam in it. So that tells me Adam is not the physical body. Your body is not you. Your body is your container. And one day you're going to die. Your body is going to, you know, death really is separation. In its simplest form, death is your, your spirit and your soul separate from your body. That's death. Because your body is now put back in the earth. But the fact that your body is put in the earth does not mean you cease to exist. So the real you lives forever. Newsflash. Every human being lives forever. Why do I say that? You remember Jeremiah 1. Uh, the Lord said to Jeremiah, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. And I ordained you. So God is saying to Jeremiah, before you got into your mother's womb, you existed. God is saying to Jeremiah, before you go into your mother's womb, you existed. Now, where did Jeremiah exist? He existed in God's mind before he got into his mother's womb. The same way Adam existed in God before God breathed Adam into his shell. Right? So because God is an eternal being, whatever comes out of him is is life. It's got eternity written in it. So every human being has eternity written in their soul and their spirit. So every single human being is going to live forever. The question is, where are you going to live? Because there's in heaven, there's heaven, and there's hell. Angels are real, demons are real, God is real, heaven is real, and hell is real. It's time the church starts to admit and talk about these things more. So God created Adam from the dust of the earth, breathed life into into the body. Adam became a living soul, and Adam now starts to engage with God. In that reality, Adam was more God-conscious than flesh-conscious. So Adam was a spiritual being that was aware of spiritual realities. Okay, now, sin comes into the world. Adam fell. Adam started off being spirit-conscious. So he was kind of spirit-soul-body. As sin came into the world, they became a reversal. Adam becomes more body conscious. So he noticed he's naked first. Are you with me? Are you with me? So he notices he's naked and they start to cover up and hide from God. So there's a reversal that takes place. It now becomes body, soul, and spirit. So right now, we generally tend to be more body conscious than spirit conscious. But that's not to say the spiritual world is not real. The spiritual world is more real than you are. Okay, scripture. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 3. It is by faith, this is uh, the Good News Bible. It it is by faith that we understand that the universe was created by by God's word. So that what is seen... Okay, are you with me? So that what is seen was made out of what cannot be seen. Are you hearing me? God is saying that the world and the universe was created by God from a spiritual dimension. So what we see, 
what we see came out of an unseen realm. Everything we see around us came out of an unseen Because God is a spirit being and he spoke the seen realm from the unseen realm. He says in other translations, the things that are seen were made from things unseen. So they're spiritual things that exist. But the fact that you don't see them does not mean they're not real. And the fact that this realm came from that realm tells me that realm is superior to this realm. That realm, the spirit realm, which you already exist in, by the way, because you have a spirit. I mean, you don't have it. You are a spirit. (laughs) That realm is superior to this realm, and that realm is a parent realm to this realm. There are a lot of activities going on on the earth right now. A lot of things we see in the news. A lot of activities that happen around us. And everyone is kind of like, you know, getting, everyone is shocked by it and and wondering how could this happen and, and what's going on here. And we don't realize, before things happen in this realm, they are conceived in that realm. So if we're gonna change this realm, addictions, perversion, laws, and you know, all the junk around us, if we're gonna change this realm, we have to first do our homework in the spirit realm. Are you with me? This platform, this pulpit casts a shadow. This monitor here right in front of me is casting a shadow. The shadow is a reflection of the monitor. The shadow is not the monitor. The shadow is a reflection of the monitor, but not the monitor. So if I want to move the shadow around, I don't move the shadow around by trying to move the shadow around. If I want to move the shadow around, I have to move the thing that's casting the shadow. That is the reality we're living in. There are things in the realm of the spirit that cast shadows, so to speak, in the visible natural realm. And we have to be more aware of that realm than we are right now as the believers, as the people of God. Because I meet many Christians that almost live their lives like the, the Bible isn't true. You can't tell me you're reading the Bible and you can't tell me you're really, really reading the Bible and think what I'm saying is weird. There are weirder things in that book. The ground opening up and swallowing someone. Literal fire falling from heaven. Someone being levitated into the, into the air. Jesus being lifted up. I mean, people walking through walls. The, the sea parting in two. The, do you know what I'm saying? There are a lot of weird things that happen in that book. And the only reason why they're able to happen is something is taking place in the spirit realm, which is the parent realm, that then shifts the laws of physical reality to then manifested in this realm. So you cannot tell me you're a Christian and not believe what I'm saying. Because I'm telling you, you have to be more aware of spiritual realities. Spiritual things. Now, I lived in Nigeria till I was 16, 17. I came to the UK when I was 17, 2001. And I always like to say, I never met an atheist until I came to the UK. As in, literally, I'm not even joking, my whole life, 16, I never met an atheist. I never met someone that told me to my face. Or even I heard anyone say they know someone that knows someone that does not believe God is real. Why? Because when you live in that part of the world, Nigeria, Liberia, Ghana, you live in, you know, some certain countries, not just Africa, there's certain countries as well. In fact, you know what I've realized? The rest of the world, apart from the West, are very spiritual. 
is only in the West, and even in the churches in the West, we're all intellectual and all trying to be theological. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with theology as long as your theology leads to reality. Because many people have big heads and small hearts. All these ideas about God, but not leaving anything out. So I'm not against theology, but we can't just go after theology and we don't have any reality of encountering God. Because you don't really know God until you experience Him. I don't care how much knowledge you know, you still don't know. Even Paul says that I may know him. So after all his revelations, he's still saying, I still don't know this God that well. I still need to know him more. Okay? So we need to, we need to realize God wants to come into that place of encountering his presence, encountering who he really is, not just having all these ideas. I never met an atheist until I came to the UK. Because in that side of the world, there is a lot of negative spiritual activities that go on. And it seems very, it seems more open and more obvious. So even the people that don't believe in Jesus believe God is real. Because you see all kinds of weird activities. <laughs> and if you're from that part of the world, you can appreciate what I'm saying. Now, you come to the West. It's not that those activities are not taking place. They're just repackaged. My mother-in-law recently was uh, uh, went out somewhere, I, I think, to do a pedicure. I don't know all those things that, that women do. <laughs> the person doing it for her was involved in the occult. And she ended up leading this person to salvation, to Jesus. And this person ends up confessing to her about rituals that they do around here in the mountains, certain times on the month, going to sacrifice things. This is not some black person in some village that has, that's never heard Jesus and is living in some primitive way. This is someone who lives in the West, engaging in spiritual occultic activities, sacrificing things because they understand what goes on in the spirit realm. Listen carefully to me. Prayer is powerful whatever realm you're in. Prayer is powerful on the negative side and prayer is powerful on the positive side because which is pray? Praise where divinity meets humanity, where humanity meets divinity. Praise like an altar. It's a place of exchange. Something takes place when people start to deliberately engage with the spirit realm. And it seems to me like people on the dark side, the witches, the warlocks, the occultists, tend to take the spirit world more serious than the people on the light side. What's going on with us, church? We, they, they're, they're very intense on what they're doing. Now, some of my, oh, you know, I don't want to scare you. I'm just trying to scare you. I don't need to apologize for what I'm saying because it's, it's, it's happening right here around us. The sooner we realize it, the better it is for us. Yes. So we're trying to deal with a lot of activities in this realm, but we're not dealing with the source of where it's come from in the spirit realm. And I'm saying to you, it's time we wake up to that reality. There's only one way I found to engage the spirit realm in a way that affects change, lasting change in this realm. And that's when we engage with the heart of God through the ministry of prayer and intercession. We shift things in the spirit realm around us and it will eventually manifest in the natural. Another concept of intercession that will help you understand what I'm trying to communicate is when you think about parliament, and when you think about the laws that are made in parliament, the laws are made, but the fact that the law is made does not mean the law is obeyed everywhere. So, um, 
Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. Oh, by the way, Satan is not the opposite of God. God has no opposites and will never have any opposite. <laughs> if there's an opposite for Satan, it must be another high-ranking angel. So the fight is not between Satan and God. It's more between Satan and his kingdom and the people of God, we, us. So he came as us to defeat him, to show us how we should defeat him. Are you with me? Now, where was I? Thank you, Parliament. (laughs) Parliament passes the law, and then the fact that the law is passed does not mean that the law is obeyed. Okay. In the same way, Jesus won the victory on the cross. Okay. The fact that the victory has been won on the cross does not mean that victory is manifested everywhere. Now, have you met people? I have, and you probably meet them, and maybe you're here, you believe this. Jesus has won the battle on the cross. He said it is finished. All we need to do is rest in that victory and do nothing. We just need to chill out and, just, and just, just, just enjoy the grace and the victory that God has given us. No, no, this warfare, no, this fighting, you know, it's already done. It's finished. Oh, why, are you, why, are you, why are you being so intense? Why are you being da 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 just, just chill out. Have you ever heard that kind of argument? I hear that all the time. Okay, so my, my, my answer to the argument is this. Jesus said it is finished, and Paul then writes, after Jesus said it is finished, in Ephesians, that we wrestle. We wrestle, not against flesh and blood. Okay? The, wep- the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. So Paul is admitting that even though Jesus said it is finished, we are still wrestling. Okay, a wrestling match is different to a boxing match. Because the wrestling is a lot of tossing back and forth. We're pushing. There's a lot of intelligence, spiritual intelligence required in the kind of battle we're involved in. It's not just one punch and you're out. There's a lot of pushing forth. And that many times is a picture where intercession can be like, we're contending. We're pushing. We're contending for God's purposes. Now, this is where I'm going with this. Parliament passes the law. The law is not necessarily obeyed everywhere. And you know what they have after that? We have what we call law enforcers. The job of the law enforcer is to enforce what has already been passed in parliament. So if the law enforcer doesn't do his job, there's going to be a rebellion everywhere. The fact that the law, the fact that Jesus won the victory on the cross does not mean that victory is manifested everywhere. So he calls us into the ministry of law enforcement, victory enforcement. Welcome to the ministry of intercession. We have to take the victory of the cross and enforce it in every sphere of society. If we do nothing, the enemy rebels against that victory and people remain bound. Heaven is looking at us to exercise our God-given authority in those realms. Okay. Next thing I want to talk about that's connected to that is your spiritual responsibility to enforce that victory. I started by saying it's easy for us to come here and place a demand on the platform and say, give me a word, without realizing heaven is already placing demand on us. This morning I woke up, had some prayer time, and then I got a text about speaking here today. And um, I want to say to you, if at the end of this meeting, uh, Pastor Karen came and said to you, we'd love you to speak at the next section 
maybe the next section or maybe the evening section, I'd love you to speak for an hour or so. If she came and said that to you, I guarantee you, after this meeting, you're not going to go home and watch some movies. After this meeting, you're not going to go home and hang out with your friends to just chat about nothing. You're not just going to watch your favorite YouTuber or watch your favorite series. Or You're not going to go and do that. Why? Because when you received that word from her, what hit you was spiritual responsibility. You already have spiritual responsibility. The question is, why do we need to wait for someone to ask us to preach or to sing before we realize we have spiritual responsibility? Most of you will never stand on a platform to do what I'm doing right now. Most of the church is going to be out there in society. But most times the church takes off their responsibility because they only come to church to hear from the pastor, to hear from the man of God, of power from the hour, receive a prophetic word without realizing that same demand is being placed on you by heaven in your workplace. You have spiritual responsibility. So when you realize that you have spiritual responsibility, you go to your workplace prayed up. You go into... Meetings like this, ready. You don't just come in to suck someone. You come in to also release what's in you. And as a leader myself, I find that the meetings I enjoy going to, the prayer meetings I enjoy being at, are the prayer meetings where the people in the meeting are not just coming to drain and receive, but they're coming to release and give because they understand their spiritual responsibilities and they're warriors in themselves. We will not see God move in the UK into the degree we want to see if it's only going to be a one-man show, a man of power for the hour with a healing anointing who's going to lay hands on everyone in the room. No, no, no. You need to arise as the woman of God, as the girl of God, as the boy of God, taking on your spiritual responsibility and realizing when you go into your school or you go into your workplace or you go into your university, you have to prepare to go into that environment like you will prepare to speak on a platform. So you realize your prayer life is important. I may not have been speaking here this morning, but I was still going to wake up to pray. I'm not praying because I have to preach. I preach because I pray. So I don't wait for a big speaking assignment and then, oh God, I need to fast, I need to pray. Oh, this is so big. No, 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 no. Whether I get speaking engagement or not, whether I speak in front of thousands or five people, I am going to fast and pray. If I love this idea that it doesn't matter whether I'm speaking to a crowd of 50,000 or five, it's still a step down from one-on-one conversation with the King of Kings. So that means my priority is in the hidden place. My priority, we sang it Aaron, is to be ablaze in the secret place where no one is looking. And I'm going to go to this next point now. I think I might finish here. The Bible says of John the Baptist, John 5.35, that he was a burning and a shining lamp. Everyone say burning. burning. And say shining. shining. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we understand that the shining of the light is a picture of your outward activity and your ministries. But the impact of the light 
is connected to internal conditions of burning. Jesus said of John, he was a burning and a shining lamp. I want to read you this quote from A.W. Tozer, and I love what he's trying to say, because as I look at this, I think it connects to where we are in many ways in, in our church world right now. And Michael, you will know this. <laughs> it says, the forces of religion are making dramatic gains, and the churches are more prosperous than at any time within the past several hundred years. But the alarming thing is that our gains are mostly external, and our losses are wholly internal. And since it is the quality of our religion that's affected by internal conditions, it may be that our supposed external gains are but losses spread over a wider field. It's talking about what is going on in the church today where we tend to celebrate a lot of external activities, but we've not much depth spiritually. Can I just say this to you? The fact that 50,000 people gather in a stadium does not mean God is there. Beyonce can fill a stadium. So we can't just look at external things to judge if God is moving or not. Because today we've got multimedia, we've got great communicators, great ability. We can, we can gather the crowd. But the fact that the church is able to exercise its gifts and gather the crowd does not mean when we gather, something of real death happens that shifts the heavens. And God is calling us to be a people that are more concerned about internal conditions than external gains. I mean, external ministry gain. Like some people think, oh, I laid hands on the sick and they got healed. Or I pray for this person and that happens. That means I'm doing well with God. Never, never, never judge your relationship with God by the outworking of your ministry for God. Internal conditions. Because we can easily get distracted by external things. So if we gain externally, more people come in. We have bigger meetings. And we lose internally. No burning life in the secret place. We have in turn lost externally. If we gain externally and lose internally, we have in turn lost externally. So God is calling us to be like John. The burning man. The burning girl. What does it look like to be a burning one? It means you're in a desert. What does it mean to be in a desert? It means you're not in comfortable, you're not in a comfortable place. John, I mean, you know Jesus went to fast and pray in the desert 40 days. It doesn't tell us he had a bed to sleep on. So he must have been sleeping on the floor, lying down on stones. Have you tried to sleep on the floor before? Desert conditions are not easy conditions. But God's greatest prophets are forged in the deserts. This is what Luingo says. God's greatest prophets are forged in the deserts of fasting, not the deserts of feasting. If you want to be a burning one for God in your generation, you need to learn how to embrace the desert. That means people may look at you and call you weird. That means your Christian friends may look at you and say, you're just, you're just overdoing this. You're just, you're just being a bit radical. What's all this about? Just chill out. 
that means you're not always going to fit in. And you need, in fact, you need to forget about trying to fit in if you're going to be a burning one. That means you need to learn how to appreciate the isolation, the time where God takes you apart to be with him. The most important thing in the life of the burning one is when they're before the burning one. Alone. You know where John got his flame from? There's only one place he got his flame from. The burning man himself. His eyes burn like fire. The seven lamps around him, they're on fire. The seraphim, another word for them are burning ones, they're on fire. You read Ezekiel, Michael read the Eleron. A description of, G- of, the, of the Lord on the throne, the description is he's on fire. Daniel talks about fire coming out from the throne. A stream of fire coming out of his throne. Basically, everything around him is on fire. So if everything around the Lord is on fire, you cannot tell me you're close to him and not be on fire. Everything of close proximity to the throne is fire. In this generation, and I round up now, and if the band can come up, that will be awesome. In this generation we're living in, the level of darkness we're facing The level of perversion we're dealing with requires that we become burning ones. Otherwise, we will not survive what's out there. Can I say this to you that if all you do is come to a conference like this and sing, God set me ablaze, and all you do is go to church, and all you do is go to this event and that event, and that's all you do as a Christian, by default, you backslide. I always love this illustration. If, now, I don't really know how to swim. I don't know if it's a black thing, but. (laughs) But from what I understand, if you're trying to swim upstream and the river coming downstream, for example's sake, is coming downstream 60 miles an hour. If you're trying to swim upstream and you do nothing, what happens? You get swept away. If you try to swim upstream and the force you apply upstream is equal to the force coming downstream, what happens? You remain in the same position. So if you want to really swim upstream, you have to apply a force that's greater than that which is coming against you. Welcome to our generation. Welcome to the life of spiritual violence. The only way to grow spiritually in our culture, the only way to not look upon when you leave this meeting, the only way to have your heart pure, focused, and effective in the kingdom is to learn how to apply spiritual violence. It's not physical violence. You're swimming upstream. You're applying spiritual force that's greater than that which is coming against you. That means your heart in the sacred place. What I mean by that is that means your prayer life is not cold. You will not survive. I don't say that as a negative prophecy. I say that from experience. You will not survive as a Christian if all you do is just go to church activities. You have to have a reality of a burning life when no one is looking. And then that burning life becomes the foundation through which God uses you to become a voice that shifts things in the heavens. Because now you're not concerned about being a celebrity on the earth. You become a voice in the heavens, shifting the powers of darkness that be and preparing the way of the Lord. Because now God is wanting to raise up a people who are burning in the secret place. And because you're burning... When 
when you pray from that burning place, your words, your prayers become like flaming arrows being released, like intercontinental ballistic missiles that God begins to release to begin to explode and destroy the works of darkness. Because you're coming from that burning place. When you say a word, the enemy knows. In fact, when you wake up, the enemy knows, gosh, the enemy is scared that you're awake. The, that's the kind of people that God's calling us to be. And if we don't leave this, if we leave this conference just excited about a nice meeting and don't leave this conference, then God, I want to be that burning man. Then the legacy of this conference is nothing. Because the outworking of what God does here is when you go home by yourself. When there's no one here to lead you in worship and you're just in your room by yourself and you're going to have your Bible and your, I don't know, your iPod and your iPad, whatever, and you want to just spend some time with God, and Facebook is calling your name, food is calling your name, all kinds of distractions are calling your name. That is the test of what happens here, what you do in those moments. Because God wants you to burn for him. Now, imagine what would happen. You know, I'm here 10 years on from my first connection on the ramp. Imagine what would happen five years from now if we all start to live this reality. In your school, you become a burning man. Now, I start to burn for God, and it leads me to a ministry of prayer and intercession. You start to burn for God in your secret place, and it might lead you into governmental positions. And it might lead you to be a teacher at a school. And it might lead you to be a pastor of a church. And it might, it might lead you in order. But as you begin to burn, wherever you go, you shift the atmosphere. Okay, I said I was going to make my last point. This is going to be my last point. <laughs> Hopefully. Many Christians are not affecting the world around them. They're being infected by the darkness around them as opposed to affecting it. And I think one of the reasons for that is this. Jesus was able to hang around sinners. And when he go around them, he changed their atmosphere. Because Jesus was stronger in the light in his burning for God, than they were in their darkness. Whoever is strong on whatever side, whoever is strongest on whatever side dominates the atmosphere. So when you go to school and your friends are stronger in the occult, in their commitment to darkness, then you are in your devotion to God and you only have a tiny flicker of flame and you're only struggling together and there's nothing going on in here. When you get around them, they dominate the atmosphere. And then you become like a boat on water that is allowing the water to get into the boat. Eventually you sink. You can't sustain that. The only way to really step into that place and exercise the God-given authority that he's given us and be effective is to be way stronger in the light than they are in the darkness. So by doing that, we become thermostats, not thermometers. Everywhere we go, we're atmosphere shifters. And we shift the spiritual temperature and atmosphere in the place through our lifestyles. And we prepare the way for what God wants to do because we choose the life of burning. Burning. 